0: Okay, so welcome everybody once again This this uh, this week we have William Our um, photogrammetry Engineering CAD Software expert uh, from Labs And um, I suppose we'll start off Like we normally do William, just in case uh, for those of uh, You know, the audience at home Or wherever they may be, if they don't already know Give a little intro, introduce yourself Explain what it is you do, and all that good jazz Uh oh, well I've been here at Puget
1: Systems for, I think it's going to be 15 years in a few months here. Um, The last few of which have been in our labs department. Uh, So what we do up here is testing various software packages that are fairly popular and that a lot of our customers are using on different hardware configurations, mostly looking at CPU and video card performance, since that's usually the stuff that, that drives things, but occasionally also dipping into stuff like RAM usage or uh, hard drive speed, things like that, occasionally, SSD speed these days, honestly. Um, And then, we take that information that we gather and use it to write articles that we publish on our website so that the community at large can know what sort of specs to be looking for, depending on what software they're running. And then, we also utilize that to put together our recommended systems for our customers to purchase and for our consulting team to be able to use when advising people. Um, and then occasionally we do things like this Q&As and webinars and trainings and stuff as well
0: yeah yeah. And, and that's kind of the point of, of the so for these, for these Friday shows um, is to kind of just give break out a little bit of time take a, take a moment to kind of give an opportunity one to sh- for you uh, to showcase um, anything kind of cool and interesting that you might have uh, stumbled across lately and also for uh, the folks at home uh, or audience at least to maybe ask a few questions of their own um, which actually I know I had one um come across my view uh, fairly recently and um it it involves ram speeds um with the introduction we were starting to push um just uh, amd's been killing it lately with the ryzen and threadripper Mm -hmm. stuff has been really just really top notch and um a question I know that we've covered in the past but one that has come up a lot more often recently is how can we only offer uh, 2666 RAM speeds when uh, AMD Ryzen and Threadripper are capable of supporting higher speeds?
1: Well, so that's at this point a little bit dependent on what's available um there's of course much higher memory speed stuff that's been on the market for years now you know uh, 3200 3600 even higher but what AMD's processors officially support depends on how many memory modules you're using and what density they are uh so for most of the configurations we would sell 2933 is the memory speed that is officially supported by AMD However, it's hard to find 2933 megahertz memory that is on their QVL lists from other boards and widely available and from reliable brands and all those things you can find higher speed memories but again we we don't like to push past manufacturer specs because that's a form of overclocking and it can lead to reduced stability and things like that and there's not a huge performance benefit sometimes there's a few percent but in our opinion stability is more important than a little tiny bit of performance because if right. you end up losing hours of work at some point because of a crash or a blue screen or something, you've wiped away all the benefit you would have ever gained from having that memory. Um, so, we're actually, it's not really our department up here in labs, but in a product qualification, they've been working on trying to find a reliable source of 2933 megahertz memory. Um, and it gets tricky because you can use like the higher memory stuff and just downclock it but then it looks kind of weird to be selling one thing and setting it at another speed. And a lot of times you have to go in and change a lot of stuff in the BIOS to get them running at the correct speed, which isn't really ideal because then if the BIOS gets reset, suddenly you're not using the right memory speed and it can be a hassle for users. So what we're trying to do is find, as I understand it anyway, again, not my department, but we're trying to find uh, memory modules that we can get that are reliable, that behave well with the Ryzen and Threadripper boards, and then that default to the correct speeds or at least only have to be set to the right speed and then all the other settings follow suit without having to go in and adjust a bunch of options. Um, So I think they're making some progress on that, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's being tricky and it's all the more important now because not only is AMD supporting 2933 but the latest Intel processors are as well now. So hopefully most of our line will be moving up to that
0: as soon as we can reliably secure some. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. I knew I knew there was some. a new part of that the um, like how many memory modules you're actually using and their density, but then um, of course there's always you know availability and things like that that tend to go into those as well. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Um, uh, let's see. let sh- Oh yeah, there, there's talk about uh, tighter timings with lower frequency and things like that. Um, so okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, since we're on that with AMD and such, um, I feel like some of so I've I i kind of skim a lot of the articles. I don't I don't get an opportunity to, to dive into all of the meaty stuff, but um especially it seems for your particular expertise, your, your slice of the pie here, AMD has, has had a massive effect on performance in Definitely uh, those sorts of like photogrammetry and um, especially like Pix four D.
1: Yeah, Pix4D, it's fantastic. I also cover, at least at the moment, a lot of rendering applications. So um, V-Ray, for example, on the CPU side, it does really well. Um, I think some of that's going to be moving over to Kelly, maybe eventually, I'm not entirely sure, but he's doing a lot of the more 3D design and animation stuff, which rendering ties in with nicely. But yeah, there's really any of the programs that tend to benefit from a lot of cores. Yeah, AMD has been killing it, like you said. Um, it's not uncommon for like the top end Ryzen which is like a $750 processor mm-hmm. to beat all of Intel's stuff even up into the over $1,000 range all of their core and core X line yeah. uh, and then they just don't even have anything that can compete with Threadripper so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and that's a kind of an interesting point too because like oftentimes you'd see um, Xeon right would be the like higher core count Intel offer yeah
1: for a long time yeah
0: and and so to see now that even um what would be considered more of a consumer uh chip is is just kind of uh, they're kind of kicking butt it's, it's yeah. pretty cool it is
1: very impressive
0: yeah um not to not to get kind of uh, maybe esoteric but um why do you think that is? Like, is is um, is Intel falling behind? Or um, are they the the giant that's that's just too slow moving? Or, well, so I do think uh, there's a couple factors
1: probably. This reminds me a lot of what happened about twenty years ago. I don't remember exactly what year, but there were a few years in like uh, early two thousand, maybe even starting in the late nineties, where AMD was ahead as well. They were the first ones to one gigahertz. Things like the first to do a. I believe they were first to do a dual core CPU. Uh, a few of those things, if I remember right. It's been a long time. I used to use AMD processors back then Same. and I'm glad that they're back now. Um, but I think part of it is, yeah, bigger companies can get more set in their ways. Uh, they get used to being in, in the lead and, and maybe not fighting for it as hard. Um, but there's also something I think to be said for On the other side, the motivation of smaller companies, if they want to have a chance, they have to do something new, different, unique, better, or why would anyone buy from them? Uh, So it's a combination of things, I think. Intel, I know also, uh, at least it seems like, has been stuck on the same manufacturing process for a few generations now, and I don't don't think that was their intent, so I'm assuming that there must be some technical hurdles that they're facing. So once they get those dealt with, eh, who knows? Maybe we'll see a big, giant, leap from Intel as well. Um, which would be great. That that's kind of what happened back when AMD got in the lead a couple decades ago was yeah, it took a couple of years for Intel to catch up. But then when they released the core series, the early like before any of this I5, I7 stuff so was just a core two duo, core two I think, core two quad. Right. Yeah. That that generation took over from uh, the performance lead from AMD again. So you know, competition is good. Uh, sometimes one company is in the lead, sometimes the other, sometimes they're comparable. But yeah, it's a good thing. It would be far worse if only Intel or only AMD existed.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. It, it, it and it, it is interesting to me to to see that um, you know AMD has what seems to be a a a manufacturing process with the seven nanometer. Lithography, right? It's a lithography thing. Um, yeah, I don't it, know all the curious, technical terms. <laughs> it's curious that Intel, being the the Goliath that they are, that they can't seem to figure it out. And
1: uh, yeah, kind of, I'm uh, not weird. entirely sure. I know when you're dealing with stuff. I mean, these things are measured nanometers, which is absurdly small, almost yeah. unimaginably small for you know normal humans. Uh, so there's a lot of weird hurdles, like you said, technical stuff to get through when you're dealing with that. And something can look good on paper, but then you actually try it and it doesn't necessarily always work out. Or one thing I know with chip stuff is you might have something that works but the yields are really bad. So only a small part of the silicon actually ends up being viable and things like that. And you know, you can't really go ahead with a manufacturing process if you're only getting ten percent of the the product you're making to actually work. It's just not going to be cost effective. So Sure. I'm sure there's a lot of weird stuff like that going on. I'm, I'm no expert in chip design by any means, but right. I have been monitoring the industry for 25 years. So <laughs> uh,
0: so I'm curious, what of of all of the softwares that you test and, and kind of have your fingers into, which one is the most fun for you to play around in? Well, that's an interesting question. Um,
1: I don't know, I don't actually end up spending a whole lot of time Playing in the software when you're developing a benchmark or something you do, but once I've got those set up, it tends to be kind of just leave it alone for the most part. Um, photogrammetry stuff is pretty cool; just the the way it works is neat, uh, and getting you know watching how that you know comes together from just a bunch of different still images to a three D model, um, and that's probably the one that I end up playing with the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the engineering and architecture software and stuff that I test. Honestly, that's, that sort of stuff is so beyond me in terms of I, I'm not an engineer, I'm not an architect, so I can't appreciate any of that stuff that's going on. But I do take photos, and sure. I'm, I, it's pretty cool to be able to see just a bunch of still images you take of something turned into something more than that. So I can yeah. appreciate that more, I think, maybe, um, and it's a little closer to home.
0: Yeah. I remember when we first started investigating into photograph. I think it was when we first started. Anyway, I happened to be a test subject, uh, and they took a bunch of bunch of photographs of me standing in the yes, warehouse. Yes, I remember and we, that. And we three D printed a, a me standing there. And no but even and as personally as as fun as that was for me personally, but it was it was so the the. I guess the science that goes into it the the technological achievement that is taking all of these like you said still frames and building like a 3D mesh cloud all these this point cloud I think is the term and then and then being able to turn that into a 3D model and then slice it out and all that stuff it was just mind blowing
1: yeah it's definitely crazy I again not one who can understand the software side of what all they're doing behind the scenes but it's it's very neat to see in action and it's it's interesting to see how uh, different photogrammetry programs that are trying to accomplish the same thing also can behave wildly differently in terms of what c- you know, what system resources they're utilizing. Some are very well-threaded, like Pix4D does pretty well with that. Uh, some aren't nearly as well-threaded, need just fewer cores but higher clock speed. And That's actually one of the things I was doing testing on recently is um, some of those that don't benefit from as many cores if you have a moderate to higher core count processor, actually, it turns out that turning off hyper-threading or simultaneous multi-threading (AMD's version of the same technology) improves performance. So, basically, telling the huh. the system you have fewer cores and not letting it sort of double up work on cores like those features normally do actually r- improves performance in some of them. In Pix 40, it slows things down because it can use those cores but in uh, in metashape and to a lesser degree in reality capture, which those are the three that we test right. um, in those programs, if you had more than around twelve cores, it actually helped to turn those features off.
0: so hmm. go figure yeah, and I noticed that in one of your recent articles that was kind of an interesting the the mixed bag there, yeah. So we have, a, we have a question from the audience uh, from huh. Dis, Dismousant10 on Twitch. He's, he's asking, uh, talking about RAM speed holding to 2933, what is the opinion on PCIe 4 even knowing that it will take time for programs to be optimized for it, when would building in the near future focus on the PCIe 4 or stick with PCIe 3?
1: Well, so PCI Express 4 um, is basically just going to be doubling of bandwidth from PCI Express 3 and that's PCI Express is used primarily for communicating with video cards and other expansion devices too but most people use video cards it's, it's rare that you know you can get like network cards or raid controllers things like that too but those aren't very common and then the other interesting place it's used these days is also connecting to higher speed SSDs mm-hmm. um, so anything that uses like M.2 or directly into a PCI Express slot that's also using PCI Express and For video cards, in most of the things I've seen, there tends not to be a huge difference already between PCI Express uh, X8 and X16, so that the lane counts there, uh, which is is a doubling of performance there from X8 to X16, but it's rare to see more than a couple percent performance difference, again, at least in my experience in the stuff I test there. So I don't expect three to four to be a huge jump in performance either. You're just giving it more bandwidth for the system to communicate with the device, basically. Okay. Um, and I mean, if we're already at a point where current PCI Express 3 doesn't seem to be limited. Now, again, there's probably applications where it is, just not the stuff that I test. Sure. So uh, I'm not super interested in that. And then you also need both the system and the video card to support it. And right, right. now, yeah, the latest AMD stuff does support PCI Express uh, 4, but I don't know of any video cards yet to do, I I maybe some of the latest AMD stuff, I'm not sure, but um, NVIDIA at least doesn't yet, I have no idea what's coming in the RTX 3000 series whenever that comes out, but (laughs) at the moment anyway, getting a board with it doesn't really matter from that perspective. Now on the other side, the SSD side, there are SSDs now that are starting to come out that support it,
0: but again... I did think that was kind of interesting. Intel came out with a PCIe SSD that um, is compatible with with the PCIe four. And they don't even and, have a. And PCI AMD 4. is the only one that yeah. supports PCIe four right now. So yeah, it's kind of uh, funny. It, it's a weird uh, miscommunication, I think, amongst departments there. It's, well, I think SSD. I mean
1: they're just probably pushing <laughs> ahead. Like I'm sure the SSD folks there at Intel are separated enough from the motherboard and CPU folks. They're just pushing ahead with the technology when they can, but. Right. Even there, again, unless you're doing something really, really niche, you can get drives on PCI Express 3 that'll do three, three and a half gigabytes per second. Right. I mean, I don't, none of my, again, none of my applications that I'm testing are sensitive to the difference between that and maybe the five or six gigabytes a second that you might get on some of these new drives. Mm-hmm. Because there's just so much data bandwidth already, uh, you know. I'm sure there are niche cases where it's helpful. Right. But at least for most folks, um and again folks doing the stuff that I test, it really doesn't
0: matter. But with that said, I mean it doesn't hurt either so right you know i feel like it's kind of a almost like a leapfrog sort of deal it's like right now it may not be necessary because like we're probably not even maxing out what we have now but now that there is the, the possibility they have the opportunity i think it gives um it just kind of provides a bit more of a flexibility for the future
1: yeah and there's um it happens with usb as well for example like i mean again the vast majority of things that most folks are doing on usb you're not going to be able to tell the difference between 3.0 3.1 3.2 i think they even call them all 3.2 now with different generation names they've uh, they've uh retconned the naming on usb a few times uh, so but again i mean if you're if you're talking about plugging in a usb thumb drive and copying over some photos Odds are that either the drive itself internally, regardless of what speed it can connect at, the memory internally probably isn't fast enough, or you're not copying enough for it really to make a huge difference. Whether you know you're getting 500 megabytes a second, or uh, one gig a second, or what it's anything these days, it, it's gotten to the point. Again, especially outside of like CPU and video cards themselves, there you right. can still see performance differences. So many of the rest of these things—memory speeds, bandwidth between devices through PCI Express or USB—are all so fast that it's it really doesn't matter all that much. I'd much rather have a high-quality device uh, that used a slightly slower connection mm-hmm. than uh, you know a bleeding-edge device, but that isn't as reliable or has some other weird thing it overheats or something stupid like that so that's my perspective on it
0: yeah so we do have a we have another question from the audience this one is from eric um this is not sure if you mentioned it already but uh what are some of the more interesting uses of photogrammetry right now and uh what are the most common hardware configurations for those uses
1: well so the hardware configurations like i said uh I mentioned a little bit that it varies a lot depending on what software you're using. So mm-hmm. the hardware configuration that's best for Metashape, for example, is not the same that would be the best for PIX4D and vice versa. Um, so you you want to look at the hardware configuration based on the software you're using more than the use case of what you're doing with the software. Okay. Um, but uh, you, need, you know, I could rattle off a bunch of specs, but it's <laughs> probably just as easy to just go look at our website if you go to budgetsystems.com and look at the publication section, articles, you can even narrow down by specific application or just scroll through recent stuff and see uh, or you can go to our recommended systems if you want to see what we sell but um, as far as use cases, I know one of the things PIX4D at least is recently doing and I, I think other companies have done it with their software as well but it's kind of focus on um, like emergency response and crime scene stuff so like they've, I think they even released a special version for this that has some a more limited feature set but is designed to be run quickly in the field where, yeah, you know, they're able to take a bunch of pictures of like an accident, for example, uh, you know, mm-hmm. car accident and get that done so they can reconstruct it later. And then you can clear out the scene more quickly instead of having to leave a car accident in place for hours while detectives are coming out and investigating things and preventing traffic the whole time, you know, blocking traffic. So you can, right. you can get things more quickly done that way. Or That's you can cool. get the results sent off to like somebody off site to uh, to do an analysis on or whatnot. Um, I've actually got some friends who are are in the um, a friend in the state patrol who does investigation stuff like that. I should ask him one of these days if he uses anything like that the next time yeah. I see him. But um, but yeah, some some interesting stuff like that. Uh, which again, I haven't played with that version specifically, but it's, it's doing the same sort of stuff with photogrammetry, you know. Uh, and they can use it, like I said, also for emergency response stuff. If you know, you've got satellite data or aerial photography of a lot of the world nowadays. But it's mm-hmm. usually weeks to months, maybe years old. And being able to quickly come out with a drone and just do a quick survey and make a new map of a area that's you know changed because there was a flood or different things like that can be
0: really helpful. So uh, that,
1: that sort of stuff, like the emergency response stuff, that is seems pretty, cool. pretty
0: cool. Like. I mean, so from what I know of how photogrammetry works, you could you could essentially just very quickly take a whole bunch of pictures of the scene, bring it back home, and and recreate the the, the crime scene or or, or what. Yeah, that's really neat. Wow. And then, of course, you could then go and take that and put it into something like Unity or whatnot, and then potentially be able to like actually walk around.
1: Yeah, it actually reminds me. There's uh there's a scene in Iron Man three, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, that. Basically, is that it's even it's more advanced than anything even that we have now because it's got holograms and you know it's sci-fi I movie. Really what like. do you expect? But it's yeah he yeah it's when he's reconstructing the scene where an explosion was trying to figure out what happened and what is what his buddy Happy was like trying to point him toward and right. stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, oh, same that's... same idea uh, again. Much done, much to... fancier. Yeah, taken to maybe you know ten or fifteen years further in the future technology, but. Yeah. Um, yeah it Ooh, was be,
0: cool that, I, I love uh, I love seeing how uh, science fiction has um, inspired like real science um, yeah I've read, a, I've read a lot of like science fiction books from like the 50s and stuff and what used to be just fantasy like this they were just making stuff up practically uh, or, or very very theoretical things are now like commonplace and everyday. Yeah. And and it's really it's just really cool because like, as you as as things have sped up and progressed, it's it's there's that line blurs so much. Yep. And it's, it's very exciting.
1: Yeah, Jules Verne was a master of that, but there's even stuff in like, you know, stuff in Star Trek and things that you know like. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, crazy.
0: It's really neat. I love. I love. I wonder how much of that is, um, is just kind of um you know kids or young young people like growing up on that stuff and then saying you know what i'm gonna do it i'm gonna make that happen and
1: could be i mean certainly some i'm sure there's some inspiration stuff there's also probably a lot where you know writers or whatnot are able to hear about you know hear things that are being worked on and kind of project out what things are going to be like um
0: yeah yeah uh let's see oh hey we have uh, we have some some cool folk here in the chat aunt pruitt says hello 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 uh, let's just scroll through and see if there's any questions or anything. Let, let me see. Okay, so without without necessarily spoiling anything you're not supposed to talk about, what are okay. you excited for uh, coming up? Like, let's, let's say the next oh. year. Let's say the next year. We're we're kind mm. of halfway through this one. So, how, what do you think July 2021 is going to be like? And are, are you excited for anything in particular? Do you hope? Are you hopeful for anything in particular? Well, I'm.
1: I'm assuming by then that we'll have the next generation of Nvidia cards. I'm I'm excited to see what they do with that. Um, I know there's rumors and stuff floating out there and sometime in the next six months maybe-ish would be my guess. But yeah, certainly by a year, I I can't imagine we wouldn't have that. Um, I've been personally holding off at home on getting an RTX card because I I usually like to wait for the second generation, like a new technology like that uh, to kind of get the best performance for your dollar. And I've got like, I've got a 1080 Ti and a 1080 and a 980 and a 1060 at home on my four <laughs> systems. So I'm not exactly way behind, but I've been holding right. off on the, the RTX. But I'd love to get that and and try out some games uh, I play, a couple things that could benefit from RTX. So that'll be fun. Um, and I kind of I'm curious to see how much of a boost, you know, a lot of the um, rendering applications that use GPUs, so uh, V-Ray and Octane. And uh, the next version of Redshift will support it. It doesn't yet, the upcoming version will uh, support RTX. Okay. And I'd like to see how much of a generational improvement they have in that area, you know, mm-hmm. going from their first gen to second gen of that technology. Um, what else? In the Coming year, um, I mean, SSDs are already so fast. That's, you know, it's always nice to see those keep coming down in price as they go up in capacity and speed. I like that. You know, someday when we don't have to worry about hard drives anymore, it'll be nice.
0: I am convinced. Um, I am convinced that we will, in very soon, uh, reach a point where there won't be a difference between like RAM and storage. It'll all just be non-volatile. It'll all be that fast. It'll all just be practically directly connected to the CPU.
1: I mean, someday maybe. I think. I think that's a lot further out. Certainly not a year. And. Oh sure, probably sure. a lot further than that, because when that happens it'll they'll have to like rearchitect a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean Windows and I guess I don't know enough about like Linux and how it handles things, but I assume it's similar in that it it treats memory and storage very differently and if you suddenly don't have like if it's all just one pool at some point, I don't know. It, it would just require I think a little bit of a rejiggering and I, I don't know how big of a deal that'll be uh, you know especially for like legacy applications will that they'll have to do some sort of
0: that's true maybe emulation maybe...
1: Or, or something I, I, it probably will happen eventually yeah. um, but I yeah I don't know It'd, we'll see
0: I, I could be I could be uh, in a bit of a dreamscape because I, I don't quite well, really understand how operating systems and and the processing part works and how we, I va- Vague understanding of the programming of how memory works versus storage and things, so I could be uh, uh, kind of blurring that up a yeah. little bit.
1: Well, and it's I mean it's interesting because there's a lot more people you don't usually think about it, but there's cache memory on the processors as well. So right. really, for most systems right now, there's sort of four or five levels of storage, and in mostly that's only two layers are transparent to the user. You can see how much RAM is being used and you can see what you know you actually have on your storage. But then there's, most CPUs have three levels of cache in them at least, again, not a chip designer here, but as I understand it, uh, usually level one, two, and three cache. And those those will certainly have to be run because the CPU actually can't, my understanding again, at least, is the CPU has to bring stuff into the cache to actually do anything with it usually. okay. Um, other than maybe like simple copying and stuff. But if it's actually running calculations, uh, so that those layers, at least I think will always be separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. we might get to the point someday where everything else is just so fast that there's no need for system Ram for that temporary in between space. That would be right. pretty cool, yeah. but, um,
0: We'll see. we'll see. It'll be cool. So we'd have another question from the from the chat. This one is from Ant Pruitt. Uh, he's asking, "What are your thoughts on AMD and its pro rate pro grade cards?" Uh, seems people uh, seems like people are sleeping on them. He's not much interested, but uh, they are fascinating.
1: Yeah. So the um, I haven't had a chance. I think we might have gotten a sample. It might actually be that one sitting over there behind me. Um, of one of the new. Oh goodness, what are they going? I'm gonna butcher the name probably now. Cause they've gone from being Fire Pro to Radeon Pro, and now I'm not get, even sure. I think I think it might Can still be called Radeon it? Pro. I don't know if I. I'm honestly oh. not sure. But um, <laughs> it, uh, it's it's um, in general in the last few years, love AMD CPUs. AMD video cards have not been as impressive. Um, I mean, in some ways, they're just. They don't have a feature yet that competes with nvidia rtx for example okay. uh so like on the rendering side there's just no way they're gonna match and um i've had more weird drivers just the few times i have tried to test them there have been strange driver things going on and stuff so um i tend not to find them as appealing um okay personally uh but that is something actually um i need to find out if we've yeah, what the stat on that card over there is. I know we got sent something uh, from AMD video card wise. I don't know okay. exactly the details. I haven't had a chance to look into it, but I I should probably test that in like um, SolidWorks and stuff like that. Uh, oh, places cool. where RTX doesn't matter, but the pro level of performance and well, not so much performance uh, feature set, I suppose would be the way okay. to put it. It should matter. Um, again, in the recent couple of years, they just haven't been as good as nvidia for those applications but yeah. well, when they come out with new stuff we still got to test it tested. right right and someday that I'm, might not
0: be the case i am hoping that amd gets a has their has their kind of aha moment where they where they kind of take a bite of in uh, nvidia like they have with intel at, uh, it would
1: be cool i i have to imagine it's got to be a little bit trickier as a company to split your time and attention between two such separate markets right? because I mean, AMD only has these because they bought ATI years and years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem since that happened, it doesn't seem like they've made as big a strides on the video card side as they have on the CPU side. Right. But I don't know if that's because they're it's, it's harder to do or it's, Something they're not putting as much emphasis on, or maybe just their competition has been keeping up better. Maybe Intel, or NVIDIA has been a better doing a better job of keeping up on that side of things than Intel has on the CPU, for example. So they've been able to catch up
0: more there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, we have mention of Tensor Cores in Adobe. Oh, that's from Matt. Um, saying that it shouldn't be too far off. Their Sensei the AI stuff is prime for that. Uh, and then... Hmm. After Effects using C4D and using Redshift renderer. I don't know. That went a little over my head. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Didn't stop trying to innovate when they were ahead. Intel really slept on their laurels since Sandy Bridge. That does seem to be the case. Like Intel kind of was like, oh, you know, we're we're the we're at the top of the mountain. We don't really have to try that hard. Um, and now and then AMD really kind of. Well, I would say bite at their ankles, but it's, in my opinion, they really have come out ahead. It's, yeah. it's, an Intel seems to be scrambling. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. So I'm curious, um, is it a, is it a, just a matter of, of um, so with, let me see how I phrase this. We're seeing more and more, um, like computational processes i suppose being being written for for gpu mm-hmm. but a lot of the software you you work with um is still very much cpu it's uh, often uh multi-threaded very well multi-threaded um and and you know cpu but ba- not bound i guess but um is that by design do you think that that's a that like that's it is it is it is it the actual process that the software is doing requires a CPU, or
1: I think it depends um, so some what video cards do really well is stuff that is not terribly demanding calculations but where you need to do a bunch of independent calculations at the same time, okay. so uh, for example, one of the reasons that oh, it works parallel. so well with, yeah exactly, one of the reasons it works so well with um rendering and and did even before the advent of rtx and stuff is because rendering what we call rendering when you're talking about things like that and the term gets used in a lot of different areas you can do video rendering and stuff but specifically when you're talking about like 3d rendering and um in the realm of animation and and movies and stuff is ray tracing or path tracing Mm -hmm. and so what you're doing is you're calculating where one photon of light is going what it's bouncing off of, how it changes color as it interacts with objects or moves through translucent objects, things like that. And those rays are completely independent. Mm-hmm. So you could if you need to calculate a couple million rays to get a whole picture of a scene, you can do all of those separately. And video cards can work on thousands of things at once. And so you know, if you code it correctly, you can do that on the video card and get very good results that way. Whereas a CPU can work on maybe 8, 10, up to 64 or 128 things, maybe at the most on the high-end ones at a time. And it'll calculate each ray faster because it's higher clock speed, it's got uh, you know, more processing capabilities per core, but it can't do as many at once. So, mm-hmm. uh, so things like that lend themselves very well to video cards um, and then You end up with those types of calculations on the other side of things a lot of types of physics simulations and things like that if you're trying to calculate uh again it depends on the sort of thing but some of them you have to know what happens you know if you're trying to calculate the next step you can't do that until you know what happened with the step before so it's sequential it's not parallel and in those cases it doesn't matter, you could have a million cores, but if you can only be working on one at a time because of the way the calculations behave, you're not going to get any benefit from all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of, especially older software, stuff like SolidWorks that's been around for a long time, the simulation aspects of that will often be using fairly old and established, sometimes decades old, methods of calculating that are very much sequential like that and, and don't see a benefit. or uh, you know, even if they're newer, depending on the sort of calculations, they might just be limited in how many threads they can use, depending on what's going on. Mm, so okay. I think you see a lot of that with, with more professional grade and established software that just doesn't change as frequently because what is there works and, you know, changing stuff, you have to make sure that you're getting the exact same result. It can't be close. Rendering and stuff, you can you can do fudgy little tricks that just make sure the scene looks 99% the same as something else and you know, nobody's going to notice when it's going by at 30 frames a second in a video or something sure uh, so you can get away with with stuff there that you can't necessarily when you're trying to calculate say the stresses on a bridge that you want to build yeah. uh, you know that has to be exact yeah. uh, so I think there's there's a lot of that older more legacy and more ingrained professional stuff tends to shift less quickly to newer technologies. Uh, and may just be doing calculations that just can't go in the same directions. Um, and, uh, and so that's that's why it is still nice to have high clock speed, lower core count CPUs around. And that is the one area that Intel still has the edge in. Uh, the last couple generations, they've still maintained the best single threaded or very, very lightly threaded performance. Uh, so usually we still recommend them for yeah, engineering applications, uh, and a couple of the photogrammetry ones that don't utilize cores as well. Sure. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm forgetting a couple of the things I was going to say now because I went on off a long tangent. But uh, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, that that's that's kind of how it goes. Um, so there's some stuff that can go over to the GPU. Oh, and uh, that's what I was about to say, a lot of stuff's a, a blend, a combination, especially in mm. photogrammetry. Uh, there's uh, most of these programs. Get some benefit from the video card in certain steps depending on what they're doing okay. the steps that are more well threaded and then the other steps it'll fall back and just use the cpu because it needs to go faster but do less things and then some steps are a mix of the two
0: so um yeah all oh, right on. uh so there was another question but also kind of led me to think of one myself. Um, So from from Desmussen to here on Twitch, he says, is is there any real ties to some of the rumors that any GPU could actually take over all the work and eliminate the need for an x86 or ARM CPU in the next five to 10 years? But that, that led me to another question as well.
1: I don't think so. I mean, again, some workloads will run mostly on the video card. Like if you're doing GPU based rendering, that's primarily on the video card, but there are still some steps where the CPU is feeding data to the video card, you know, sending the scene data to it, or calculating, like if you're doing a rendering an animation, so there's where there's multiple uh, frames, the calculations in between each of those, figuring out what's moving, what the new positions are, where the geometry is, and then sending that off to the video card for rendering. Some of that stuff is at least currently still done on CPU. And while maybe some of that could be done on the video card, clock speeds on video cards are nowhere near as high as they are on CPUs. So you'd end up with worse performance if you did try and push those steps off to the video card instead. So I don't think it's something where video cards are going to take over and there won't be a need for a CPU at all anymore. Mm. Uh, Depending on the application, one or the other is sometimes more important or it's a blend. Um, And um, yeah, it really depends on the application and what you're doing and what stuff is going on behind the scenes as to whether CPU or GPU or a mix
0: makes sense. Okay. And so that and the mention of ARM actually inspired one one question for myself. So Apple, right, is um, I think it's official now. They are going to be moving to their own uh, their own custom ARM chip for their so I've hardware. Heard. Um do you think that that's going to have a wider effect on the like PC landscape? Do you think, you know, Windows ARM and all that? I, mean, there's, I know there's a There's ARM a version of Windows out there. Yeah,
1: there's a version of Windows that runs on ARM already. I honestly I've never tested ARM stuff. I mean, I know that's what runs most of our phones and tablets and things like that. My understanding has always been that ARM gives you better performance per watt. Uh, drastically, like, uses much less power, Mm -hmm. but that it doesn't, at least with most of the designs that are out there, doesn't focus on as high of absolute performance. You know, the the clock speeds aren't as high, the total calculating capability, even if it's a multi-core processor, doesn't tend to be as high. Now, that may just be because that's what the market has needed. I mean, that's what you want for tablets and phones that have to run off of relatively small batteries and last a day or longer. Uh, So you don't want a powerhouse in there that's pulling, you know, what some of these Threadripper chips will pull like 280 watts under heavy load, right? That would drain the battery in seconds maybe, minutes at most. (laughs) So, you know, and it would probably burn your hand while it's at it. Uh, So my understanding is that's what ARM's been used for traditionally. I don't know enough about the architectural differences to know if it can be scaled up to be competitive with x86 if you want it to be in terms of, the, again, that that single-threaded performance. I know you can go wide with very high core count stuff in a similar vein to video cards and GPUs where you can have a lot of you know cores but at a low clock speed. That's used, I think, a lot in cloud servers and stuff. But, yeah, I, I don't know if you can get as high of just single-threaded and lightly-threaded performance that way. I guess we'll find out. As Apple makes that transition, sure. um, uh, I could certainly see it. if it if it does. I mean, who knows? I don't know what the big what are the big names in ARM CPU manufacturing? Is it like Snapdragon? That's yeah, what I, yeah that's but Is the only it one Qualcomm? Of. Is that? I, I think that's the that's the model is Snapdragon or the family. Okay. Um, but I think it's Qualcomm. I I'm not entirely sure. Again, that would make way sense. outside that my sounds, experience area.
0: Yeah.
1: But it would be interesting to see them come out with a a desktop class CPU and motherboard. They would have to be the whole ecosystem. Right. Um, And the thing you would run into, I think there, again, there are Windows, there's versions of Windows designed to run on that for tablets and stuff. And I'm pretty sure Linux can run on just about anything. Um, But the software that runs on top of the operating system, I would assume there would have to be some translation layer there for stuff written for x86 architecture in order to run on that. So you'd probably have some penalty there. Mm -hmm. I suspect Mac is, or Apple I should say, is probably going through and rewriting or has written maybe already a lot of their stuff native for that architecture, um, which would of course help performance there. Uh, I I don't know, but that would be something that would be, I think a hurdle if you were to suddenly have that available as a, a third competitor to Intel and AMD on the CPU side. Uh, but it would be interesting. Um, yeah,
0: I, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how know. how things um, might change uh, in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are there is there anything um, say say you had all the time that you could ever want? Uh, is there anything that you don't currently get to uh, test that you would oh. like to? Um. Hmm.
1: I'm not sure. We we test a fairly wide range of software between the four of us
0: in labs. Um, and yeah, you know, not just not just your slice of the pie, but just like in general. Yeah. Um, hmm.
1: Sometimes I do miss game testing, but honestly there's so many websites out there that do that already that any one more voice doing that wouldn't be a huge
0: William importance just play or anything. Games on the clock. Yeah, I
1: wouldn't complain. Um, Goodness. Uh, I don't know. That's actually a really interesting question. One of the things that affects what we decide to test is how big of a market there is for it. I mean, you know, there could be some fascinating piece of software out there, but if there's only 50 people in the world that use it, it's not worth it to us to test um, normally. But that is actually something that we've... um, we've sort of branched out a little bit and have a new offering and i don't know if you guys have mentioned this on the stream in the past but uh our labs consultation service so if somebody's got a piece of software or uh or some other you know workflow or use case that we're not testing right now they can come to us and if it's something we can test at least we, we've had a couple where like it was just something that didn't make sense for us to test we didn't have experience with that or the right hardware to test it but um if we have the right stuff, if it makes sense, and if, you know, if the, the price works out, because we have to charge for it, unlike most of our stuff that's just free on our website, uh, we can do specific tailored individual testing. And I've done a couple of those now. Um, and those those were certainly interesting. I think that's kind of a neat approach that we can take where, yeah, something that maybe even only a handful of people or even something custom written that somebody's gotten just wants to know how it runs on a bunch of different hardware, but doesn't have access to you know, 20 different configurations like we do, we could take that, run it on a bunch of stuff, give them results. Uh, I actually really enjoy that sort of stuff instead of just running the same old tests over and over again, writing another article about the same thing, but trying to make it sound a little different, you know, right. so it's not just carbon copy every time. Um, that stuff gets kind of boring. It can be interesting, like, especially if I get to branch out and test, you know, hyper threading and, and simultaneous multi-threading like I did recently, yeah. but, um, i like that stuff that's different and um yeah that's that's a pretty cool thing so i'm I'm glad we've been able to start doing that and i think it's useful
0: i often get questions about uh audio production and 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 uh oh. digital audio uh, daws right daw yeah stuff. and uh i know that's 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 been something we've wanted to look into um but i'm also i'm just genuinely curious like how much of an effect the hardware could have on something like like how how intense is audio production that you might need a big difference in, in hardware so configuration?
1: I've only dabbled a teeny bit and mostly just in really simple stuff like recording voiceovers and doing very simple you know noise reduction and things like that. So I am no expert. But my understanding is the main thing with audio is that it has to be real time. So like a video or rendering or whatever... You know, you can go in, you can edit stuff. If it's a little uh, slow on the frame rate while you're watching it and and editing, it's not a huge deal. And then eventually it can take all the time it needs to to calculate the final product. Audio stuff, Mm -hmm. I mean, if that's playing back at half speed because your system can't keep up, it isn't gonna sound anything like normal audio. Even if it's fractions of a second off, it's not gonna sound right. You're gonna get pops or you're gonna get weird stuff going on. So it has to be real time all the time. And I think that's the main thing that that probably people would want us to be looking at if we were testing that, is mm-hmm. making sure that a system is snappy enough and responsive enough that it can keep up with audio in real time without latency or with mm-hmm. acceptable levels of latency levels that you can't perceive. Um, and then how much you can throw at it that way like how many different audio channels can you have going at once and still okay. keep that up
0: sure. um,
1: that's my understanding of where it goes but it would be interesting I'm I'm not a musician or an audio guy really at all um, and I have a fairly weird taste in music so I, I don't think I would probably be the right person to be doing that sort of stuff but um, that would actually be really interesting I'd love to see the the results and see like how we went about testing it, um, yeah. but it's definitely outside my own
0: comfort and experience levels at the moment, anyway. Um, but yeah, very interesting. It would just be cool to just to even learn a little bit more. Some folk here in the chat are mentioning things like when you have hundreds of tracks or instruments and vocals, it can load yeah. the system, totally. filters and compression take processing. So yeah, just part of it. Part of it's just to learn more about the I suppose the industry and what all goes into that sort of a thing. Um, yeah because yeah it makes sense just like you would with video or or even um, a simul you know like a physics simulation or something the more parts that you put into it the more strength and, and you know hardware performance you're going to yeah. need to make it work i just, just yeah. part, there's a part of me that was like man how hard can audio really be <laughs> <laughs>
1: you'd be surprised and again yeah it's not a huge deal maybe to be playing back a couple tracks of audio right. and i mean like yeah you can we're doing audio stuff right now. Like there's no perceivable latency when I'm hearing you talk or anything. I mean, there's the video stuff like the transmission over the internet, but it sounds okay. Uh, But, you know, suddenly if you're doing, yeah, a whole orchestra, I mean, I guess I have no idea. I'm probably gonna mess some stuff up, but if you had a bunch of different instruments, all mic would and singers and, you know, background stuff going on. And then you also, a lot of times, want to apply effects to some of that. Maybe you want to bring Volumes up or down, or adjust waveforms, or add reverb—all those sorts of things—add uh, processing power, and you have to be able to keep doing that in real time, constantly without hiccups. So, yeah, that's—it's definitely an interesting area, and it's also an area I—I'm under the impression that a lot of folks use Max for, um, but that PC stuff does exist for, and right. uh, yeah, it would certainly be interesting to uh, to dabble
0: in someday. Have you had anything um lately, and let's say let's go back to maybe November of last year, because I think that was a major CPU launch at that point. Um, anything kind of surprising or something anything that turned out um different than you expected? It's a good question. Uh let's
1: see. Well so the CPU launches uh, Ryzen came out I think a little earlier than that a little little further back in the fall last year, the the latest Ryzen stuff uh, Threadripper I think was around then, the 3rd gen Threadripper and then okay. uh, I think it was into maybe this year even before the very latest, the 3990 came out uh, the 10th gen refresh was just recently mm-hmm. um, I think unexpected um I was surprised that they came out with a 64 core Threadripper, I guess, uh, to some degree, like when, um, that they were able to go that far on consumer workstation grade stuff, not server. Um, sure. That was impressive, uh, and I'm, I'm glad they did, it's it's a tremendous processor, but the performance it offers is in line with what one would expect given the, the 24 and 32 that preceded it. Um,
0: yeah, because 64 core definitely has a Xeon feel to it. You know, yeah, that, that, I that mean super it's super higher end, like almost server grade.
1: It, yeah, when the the Threadripper stuff is akin to uh, AMD's EPIC. It's it's in the same architecture under the hood family, um, and that stuff's got high core count. That's kind of their version of Xeons. Right. But um, but yeah, it was cool that they were able to bring that down to something that could exist on a workstation board and i mean it's it's hot 280 watt tdp (laughs) so it's toasty but it's doable um and uh it's that that's really cool um and that's that's had a huge performance impact in a lot of areas um nothing surprising that i can think of right off the bat i guess um yeah i tend not to be super surprised by things i mean you can you can usually get a good idea of where performance is going to be if, you know, like, oh, a 10 core version of a the same based on the same technology and eight core exists already is coming out. Well, OK, it's going to be at most 25 percent faster and, and more likely probably in the like five to 15 percent faster range. And sure enough, yeah. you know, there it is. Uh, so it's not a lot surprises me, I guess, but. Um, Yeah, biggest thing probably would just be how quickly AMD caught up and surpassed Intel in a lot of areas. Again, they haven't surpassed everywhere. The single-threaded performance is still Intel's holding on to a lead. But, um, yeah, that's... But, again, not a surprise. I saw it happen 20 years ago. (laughs) So, (laughs) history repeats itself.
0: Yeah. Let's see. Man, there's some... Let's see, I got some talk. Good stuff going on in chat. There's like a, talk about local accounts versus online stuff. Um, oh, what antivirus anti-malware do you prefer for performance-critical applications? This is I've
1: honestly just used what's built into Windows for years and years now. Um, uh, back in the day, I used to use AVG or Avast years and years ago. But with Windows, it was either 7 or 8, somewhere in there when they came out with Microsoft Microsoft Defender or Windows Defender, whatever they called it back in the day, I switched over to that. And then now, I don't even think, I'm not even sure they use that name anymore, but it's just the stuff that's built into Windows seems to be sufficient. Honestly, the the far bigger thing with virus and malware stuff is just being careful what you do. the only times I've actually ended up getting a virus were when I was going somewhere and I'm like, this seems like a really suspicious website. I probably shouldn't download this, but I want to give this tool or utility whatever it's supposed to be a try. Nope, sure enough, that was virus written. Um, And so, being careful about what you're doing. Don't, Don't click on links in emails from people you don't trust or if they look suspicious, even if it's someone that you know because stuff like that can be faked. Don't Intentionally go to suspicious websites. Don't download stuff from suspicious places. Uh, you know, have like a, a ad blocker if you are going to go to places like that because some stuff can come up through flash ads, I think, and things. Oh, yeah. uh, and then, if you are going to go do something intentionally silly like that, back your system up first so you can restore it. Um, and honestly, these days, there's actually some pretty cool stuff in Windows where you can just have a virtual machine very easily set up and go do that in the virtual machine. And then that way, if something happens, you just blow it away and make a new one. Um, I I think that was, I don't think it's the latest 2004 release. I think it was 1909 that that version of Windows, I believe is where they brought in uh, a real, real easy way to make just a, a whole fully functional Windows 10 virtual machine right inside of Windows 10 pro I don't know if it's available in the home version but in the pro version at least and okay. um, yeah set that up if you're gonna do stupid stuff <laughs> because you're gonna you're not gonna feel near as as bad if that goes sideways as if your whole Windows install does so
0: okay one last question uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna twist this one a little bit because um, I want to kind of hit a hit on a larger topic from it but uh, nightlife 66 on Twitch he says um, whoops um to go? What do you think about things like GeForce Now or the Shadow Blade trying to move everything into the cloud? Will PCs become more of just clients to big server farms, and people will pay places like Nvidia or AMD for server time? So I guess, I suppose the bigger question there is like, is cloud is the the cloud going to kill <laughs> your home PC? I I think for some stuff that will
1: happen, probably. I mean it. I don't like it. I like owning my own hardware, having control over what's in it, how it's going to perform, not having to depend on somebody else's server or how my internet connection is behaving that particular data. I'm privileged, I know, to have like, I think we have Gigabit here at the office now. I've had Gigabit at home for a few years. So I don't normally have to think about things like that, but um, I'd rather not depend on that. I'd rather have the stuff local personally and I think there are certainly, even with gigabit, uh, you know, that's about 80 or 100 megabytes per second that you're actually going to sustain through there if your computer and your internet connection and the server on the other end can handle it all. Right. But if you're doing like video editing or some of that sort of stuff you can actually use a lot higher bandwidth than that. So I think cool. there's, a, there's definitely areas that I think at least for a long time, will stay local, or at least the high end will. You might be able to do some stuff. Like, you can actually go in and edit YouTube videos. Uh, you know, Once you've uploaded them, you can go in and trim them and do things like that. But then you also have to wait minutes or hours for it to process on their end, and you can't yeah. go back and edit it once it's been edited, or while it's processing, you can't change it. So there's a lot of limitations to doing stuff like that. Um, and And games, for example. Uh, one of the big things with games is latency, right? Like, especially yeah. if it's, it depends, uh, strategy games or something, maybe it's not quite as sensitive, but if it's a first-person shooter or anything with a lot of action going on, racing games, you know, if you're adding an additional 100 milliseconds of latency for transmission to their server, their server doing the calculations, transmission back to you, rendering it, you're going to not have nearly as fluid and good an experience shooting your enemy or driving and, and you know missing a, a collision things like that just because of that extra latency even if everything else looked as good and felt as good so I think I think some stuff will stay local for a long time uh, or we'll go to a split where some people can do it one way some do it another depending on what they uh, you know what they can afford there will be people that can't afford local hardware and so maybe for them a subscription service online or something will end up making more sense sure, Um sure. So I think we'll see things move around a little bit. It all just depends on the specific application. I personally prefer to keep everything as local as possible, but I'm also still the guy that has a big DVD collection and a lot of uh, you know video files and music stuff locally on my home network, um, even when Netflix and Disney Plus and all those exist. So I, I use both is what yeah. I'm saying, I guess. But I, I like having the ownership personally.
0: Well, I have to agree, especially when you brought up the, like the internet speeds, um, you know, 800 to, or eight, you know, the, we're talking hundreds of megabytes when my, my laptop SSD is doing three gigabytes a second. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. So, yep. uh, um, All right. Well, that does bring us to a little over our hour. Um, Cool. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Anybody, anything you want to shout out or read your latest article? Not particularly. uh, Follow social media. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's um, I, I like it when people come and interact on our
1: Facebook and Twitter and stuff so feel free to do that I'm, I'm relatively active on there um, so if you have questions or whatnot feel free to hit me up that way or yeah in the comments on our articles and stuff is great too
0: um, yeah it was fun cool well thank you very much uh, William for taking a, a day My a pleasure. bit of time out of your day and uh, helping an- answer questions and have a bit of a conversation with our audience here yeah. uh, and, and thank you as well to the audience for, for joining us a little bit after lunch um, I hope uh, um, I hope you got some value out of it. I hope you join us next time. We do this every Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m. Uh, Wednesdays, we bring in an uh, outside industry expert uh, to kind of do something similar, talk about their particular area of expertise and um, you know answer some questions, give a little insight into their thing. And uh, on Fridays, we have a member of our labs team, like William here, uh, basically do the same thing, kind of talk about what they do, how they do it, and uh, take questions from you guys. So yeah. uh, mark your calendars, Wednesdays, Fridays, 1pm, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook and Twitter and um, yeah, I think that'll do it cool, see ya see ya